Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Alex Whitaker in Washington, D.C. Today, we're talking again with NACIO's Director of Policy and Research about a new NACIO publication that comes out this week on diversity and inclusion. Meredith was the primary author for this publication, and we're looking forward to getting the rundown. Meredith, welcome back to NACIO Voices, and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Amy. Alex, welcome. So glad that y'all invited me on today. Great to have you here. Okay, first question before we get into the publication. I know a lot of people out there are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but in the publication, we call it just diversity and inclusion. Why the difference here? So that's a really good question, Alex. And I will say that, you know, NACIO prides itself on being agile, uh, lowercase a, for those IT nerds out there like me. And when we, you know, dug into this, the end of last year, we really figured out we wanted to focus on what CIOs could do themselves. And as, you know, folks listening, you know, you know that CIOs are head of one agency. And so because of centralized services with HR and other things, you know, CIOs can tackle some things. Other things they really can't. So what we figured out pretty quickly by talking to CIOs is the diversity and inclusion part. There are a lot of things that CIOs can implement within their own agency. The equity part tends to be a little bit bigger, maybe statewide initiative. That doesn't mean that we won't focus on it in the future, but um, or that we don't find it important, of course. But as of right now, we wanted to focus on diversity and inclusion. Awesome. That, that's really helpful to hear. So I guess a lot of people in a lot of industries are working towards putting more of an emphasis on diversity and inclusion these days, which is, of course, wonderful. But I think we'd love to hear more specifically about why you think state CIOs are starting to focus on it and what prompted the report itself. Sure. So as you say, it seems like our country and maybe our world is really focusing um, on these issues a little bit more. I do think that a lot of that is um, because of some civil unrest, calls for justice in the summer of 2020 when it really started. And so, you know, our CIOs really took note. And so our NASIO's executive committee or our board, we call it our executive committee, you know, really said we want NASIO to do what we can to focus on diversity, inclusion, you know, really look at these issues because there is a a stereotype, true or not, and some would say it's not a stereotype, that the tech industry itself is not very diverse. So, you know, we started with women in technology last year. And for anybody, any NACIO member uh, listening, feel free to join that. You can uh, shout out to me if you're interested. And then so in December, our executive committee said, you know, no one is really studying diversity and inclusion within the CIO office. You know, we want to do that and come up with some recommendations and some things for CIOs that they can implement. Yes. So, Getting into the findings now, you surveyed CIO offices on diversity and inclusion, and the first thing you asked is if they felt they had a diverse workforce and if they felt they had an inclusive workforce. What did they say? So when we asked about specifically a diverse IT workforce, 60% said yes, 40% said no. There's some really good comments. You know, as y'all know, when we, you know, survey our CIOs, we get the best feedback via uh, the comments. Um, And some folks said, you know, it's difficult to answer. There's definitely room for improvement. Maybe we have gender diversity, but we don't have other diversity, you know, something that folks are working on. And then when we asked, do you feel you have an inclusive workplace? Of course, you know, 93% said yes, 7% 
said no. And, you know, that was pretty, pretty consistent, not a lot of feedback that we got on that question. So, you know, I think the good news here is that CIOs are doing all that they can to make sure that their agency uh, is inclusive. All right. So then you asked some more tangible, concrete questions like, do you measure diversity in your recruitment and retention practices? And if you do, what percentage of applicants are considered diverse? So when you ask the question that's a little more concrete like that, what was the response? So, you know, that's interesting because we specifically asked in the CIO's office. So 62% said yes, 38% said no. And I think that, in fact, I know in a lot of comments that we got back from this, you know, when you ask specifically to a CIO office, because CIOs work with central HR, again, CIO's office are generally centralized services as well or shared services. Sometimes the state just measures as a whole. Sometimes they might not measure specific agencies. So I don't want this to be interpreted as 38% of CIOs don't measure diversity at all. I think it is when we said specific to the CIO's office. We also asked, okay, if you do that, you know, how do you do it? What are the percentages? And so for CIOs who are doing it, most are in the 10 to 40% percentage of diverse applicants in recruitment. We also got some good feedback in the comment section on that uh, with folks saying they're, you know, working on transparency, they have a recruitment diversity plan, things like that, folks using dashboards. So some really good comments in there about how CIOs are working on this. Great. And I'm curious, when you ask CIOs about having an internal position focused on diversity and inclusion and a formal DNI program, what do they say? How do they react to that? So 77, 77, excuse me, percent of CIOs said yes, that they have a position focused on diversity and inclusion recruitment retention. So this is generally not one person specific. This is all they work on. I think maybe one state we know of who has that, but there's other states where this is someone's responsibility. You know, Texas is a really good example. They have a director of people and culture, and this is one of their responsibilities. Also, as Alex, you asked, we asked about a program. 75% have a diversity inclusion program. And really, we were asking about the CIO office specifically, but it should be noted that most states, if not all, have some sort of diversity and inclusion program statewide. We were really asking, what specifically are you doing in the CIO's office? So about 75% of CIOs said that they did have a program dedicated to diversity and inclusion. Got it. I know you interviewed several private sector folks too, and I'm wondering if you can tell us why you thought it was important to get the private sector view. Our listeners who were in Seattle at NASIO's annual conference in 2021, you might remember we had a session on diversity and inclusion. It was led by Stephanie Dedman, the CIO in Tennessee, because her staff had an idea to create a diversity and inclusion council. And so Stephanie was kind of walking us through that. So most of the time at a NASIO conference, we talk about leadership. We talk about IT things. We talk about cybersecurity. We don't as much get folks being vulnerable because it's just the nature of what we do, right? But in this session, people were sharing personal experiences. They were sharing perspectives. They were sharing what they've done, what they want to do. And it became pretty clear to us, the private sector is a lot more advanced than government in this area. You know, and in doing 
you know, my research, there's really, really good stuff out there from a lot of NASIO corporate members like IBM, McKinsey, Deloitte, Accenture, just some really good research that they've done for a long time, but also internal to their companies. I interviewed several of our corporate folks and a lot of those people were, you know, chief diversity and inclusion officer or vice president of DEI, things like that. So, these private companies that have thousands of employees, just like states, are dedicating time, resources, and effort to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm wondering if you have any favorite takeaways or quotes from those private sector interviews. Well, I'll tell you, it was one of the most rewarding parts of this research, and especially getting to talk to Um, like I said, internal, maybe diversity and inclusion officers that I wouldn't normally get to work with and folks who just have such a a wealth of experience um, on this topic. But I will call out one person who I really enjoyed talking to, Dr. Lamont Brown, who's the vice president of DEI for MGT Consulting. He's also going to be speaking with Stephanie Dedman at a session at NASIO's mid-year conference coming up here in a couple weeks. Mm. And so he, you know, former educator, has done uh, a lot of research in this. And I love that he said, you know, you have to look at where your company is, where your state is, and how you got there. So if there are biases that exist, if you don't know what they are, you can't really correct it. And it can perpetuate and affect the future workforce. So in another quote that I used from him that's in the publication, he says, leadership is not a destination, but a continuous process. So that's just one. There are some wonderful interviews. I really, really enjoyed, you know, speaking with everybody in our, you know, private sector members really jumped up and, and volunteered and, you know, definitely appreciated. That's awesome. Yeah, look forward to that session as well. So I know in our reports, we also like to provide recommendations if we can, based on our research and conversations. And you did that in this report, too. What are your top three recommendations from the report for an office just getting started down this path? So that's a good question, Amy. And first, I got to give a shout out. I've already shouted out Stephanie Denman from Tennessee, also Mandy Crawford with Texas and Mark Raymond with Connecticut. Um, In addition to our executive committee, they were my band of Mary advisors for this. And, you know, that was really one of their suggestions is, you know, all of these uh, recommendations are useful, but if somebody's just starting out, you know, what are the top three? So shout out to them for that. Mm-hmm. So the top three that we settled on, you know, designate a senior executive sponsor, somebody who is going to say, you know, this is important. Our agency is going to work on this because it is important and leadership starts at the top. The second one is establishing a formal program or incorporating things into the strategic plan, setting goals and metrics, things like that, uh, something that CIOs are really used to doing. And then the third one, recruiting workforce is important, but making sure that folks feel comfortable when they arrive and when they stay, that's the inclusivity part. That's really important. So again, you know, a good example of that is employee-led diversity and inclusion councils like Tennessee. And if anybody is interested in what Tennessee did and how it came about, you can read more about that on NASIO's website. Great. We'll make sure and put a link in the show notes. Sure. And any other recommendations from the report that you want to highlight? 
So I'll highlight a couple. The first one is states have to embrace remote and flexible work. And I've heard mixed things about what states are doing. You know, on the pandemic, the majority of states, everybody who could work from home, they were working from home, obviously. A lot of folks have been, you know, required to come back in the office. Some states are doing uh, hybrid work where they offer work from home at least a day or two. Not only just in a general workforce sense, because you know, IT workforce, we're reaching almost crisis point in a lot of CIO and cybersecurity offices with trying to recruit and retain talent. Not only private sector is offering flexible work, but flexible work is also very popular among some traditionally underrepresented groups. It's just the thing that you know, I know sometimes it gets political, but every time I talk about workforce, I say you have to offer this. The private sector is offering it. States are never going to be able to pay what the private sector can pay, but flexible work is really important. And then other than that, community outreach. Uh, we know that CIOs and their staff have a ton on their plate, but a lot of CIOs are already doing community outreach. So going to K through 12 and high schools and colleges and really talking about why IT and cybersecurity is exciting, especially for young girls and young girls of color. And then, you know, one that's pretty concrete, blind hiring practices to reduce unconscious bias. There's software that can kind of help with this. There's other folks who are working on it. So that's just a couple, but there's several in the report. Got it. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us. I think it's really fascinating, and, and I know a lot of folks will learn a lot from reading it. But as you know, we're not going to let you go today without subjecting you to the lightning round. So we're going to ask you three questions about your life outside of work. Are you ready? I am. And was there a sound effect? Will people hear a sound effect? Yes. That's important. Okay. There will be a sound effect. Okay. There All was right. a sound effect. <laughs> Yes, through the magic of podcasting, there was a sound effect. <laughs> All right. So question number one, do you have any not too controversial, unpopular opinions? You know, the two of you know me, so you had to put in <laughs> very not dangerous. Too controversial. Yes, it is extremely dangerous. So I will say one of my biggest nerdiest of nerd things is I am absolutely opposed to the Oxford comma. So... <laughs> Amy knows this. It is never necessary. Do not at me on Twitter. It is redundant, and I can't stand it. The end. All right. Okay. Good to Wrong know. Feelings. Amy, I, I'm, uh, I'm a little curious since you came up with that question. I wonder if we could pose that to you as well. Oh, no. I'll have to think of an uncontroversial <laughs> one. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is uncontroversial, but I will say from working on Capitol Hill, I know it sounds like it's getting into scary territory here, but I actually like don't think we need term limits and let a lot of people want term limits, but I think sometimes it takes a while to get good at your job, just like myself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and sometimes when you're around for a while, you get better at your job and you make friends on the other side of the aisle and you can get more done. So that's my unpopular opinion. All right. Well, it's one that I share with you. So maybe that's both of our unpopular opinions. All right. Question two, Meredith, what band are you listening to a lot these days? So I will say, if any listeners out there know my favorite band, shout me out because our executive director, Doug Robinson, and I share this. It's Led Zeppelin. They will forever be my favorite of all time. However, since their first album came out over 50 years ago, I'll say that somebody who I really love right now is Brandi Carlisle. You know, I'm really into like Americana, Sturgill Simpson, 
Brandy Carlisle type of music. I love when people write their own stuff. They play their own instruments. Um, I'm kind of a music nerd. So if anybody wants to talk about cyber, IT, music, UK basketball, <laughs> let me know. Actually, uh, maybe UK football after a couple weeks ago, but moving on. All right. And finally, to round it out, if you could have a second home anywhere, where would it be? Oh, Montana. Shout out to Kevin and Andy and April and everybody in Montana. My husband and I visited this last summer and it is just so beautiful. I could live in Glacier National Park. I have pictures if anybody wants to see it, but it's beautiful. The weather is so much better in August than it is in Kentucky. So, you know, we'll go with that. All right. Thank you. Meredith, where can listeners read this new report? Well, Amy, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, if y'all don't know nasio.org, let me, that's where you can read the report out today. But also, let me give um, a plug for our uh, resource center. So, NASIO does most of our publications are open to the public. If you ever want to cite it, just use our name. If you ever need to use it for a presentation, again, just cite us. If you ever have any questions about any publication on our website, please let us know. That's one of the main responsibilities of NASIO is to provide good research. We have a great policy team. Alex and Amy are part of that and Brother Sweden. <laughs> so nasio.org, check it out. Awesome. Well, Meredith, thanks again for joining us and giving us that great overview of the publication. Definitely everyone should go read it, even though you got the cliff notes here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Nasio Voices. Nasio Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. And as a reminder, registration is open through April 25th for our mid-year conference in National Harbor for NASIO members. There is no on-site registration. We'll be back in two weeks with a mid-year conference preview with our own Emily Lane. And I know you interviewed several private folks as well. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us why you thought it was important to get their viewpoint. So this Real is quick, great. Sorry, Alex, can you just make sure to say private sector? Sorry, did I not say you that? said private folks. Oh, wow. <laughs> sorry. I, I like privacy. But... <laughs> yes, I am so sorry. Yes. Okay. <laughs>